It is another edition of the Matt Barry Show here on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. I am Matt Barry. Thank you so much for hopping in with us throughout this entire preseason. We've managed to find a lot to talk about even without college football going on because just give it a minute. It's like the weather in New England. It will change, which is why, Dan Mullen, I don't know how heavily I want to get into realignment today, only because by the time this thing airs, there could be another conference on the verge of collapse. Absolutely. Well, you know, like, I mean, it's college football year, it's season year round now. That's what it is, right? So uh, it seems to never end. We have in season, then we have the postseason changes and transfer portal, then we have recruiting window, then spring ball. And usually summers, we talked about this before, is like the negative time where it's like something bad happened to this program or something bad. But this summer now has just been mayhem. And you know, I mean, who knows? There might be a brand new conference by the time we uh, we this show airs or the season starts. Oh, without question, with all with everything that's gone on over the last week, with the Pac-12 on life support in the matter of hours, to now a new Big Twelve, a new Big Ten, and everything going on in between. But the only way that that I want to get into realignment today, Coach, is relative to on the field this year. Yeah, Because I believe that two conferences that are going to change as we know it, the Pac-12 is probably going to no longer exist. I've already given my feelings on that here on the YouTube channel. But the Pac-12 and the Big 12, and I want to focus on those two for yeah. the purpose of this conversation, because I believe the teams exiting the Pac-12, I think USC, if they can find a defense, can win the Pac-12 in their final year and go to the college football playoffs. Just like I think Texas in their final year in the Big 12, I believe Texas and Quinn Ewers have what it takes to not only win the Big 12, but also head to the college football playoff. I think those both te- those those teams have chances. And I think one of the things, though, that you look at the realignment, when you have Texas and Oklahoma leaving the league, listen, they already have the big bullseye on their chest from every other team in the league. You know, they are the ones that everyone wants to go after all the time. And it's just a little bit more motivation in the locker room for the other teams this year. Like, oh, they they, they already think that Texas is too good for us, Oklahoma's too good for us, and now they want to leave the league. So I think that's it. I think they're, they're, Texas is certainly good enough to make a run. But I'm telling you what, there is not a league I'm more excited to watch than the Pac-12 this year. It, it, it's... I, now, I don't know where I'm going to watch it. Luckily, you and I will be spending Saturdays together <laughs> so we can get the Pac-12 Network satellite feed to go see it. And the reason the league's not going to be around is I think USC is a legitimate playoff contender, legitimate playoff contender. They got to go deal with Utah and, right, who's one, who's the two defending. Two time. Defending Beat them champs. twice last year. Yeah. Then they got to go to or- deal with Oregon and Washington who are two explosive teams with veteran quarterbacks and playmakers all over the place. And don't forget about Oregon State that found a way to win with a great O-line, DJ Uyungle coming in at quarterback. They're running backs coming back. And better than all of that, they all play each other. Right. They all, like, I'm looking and you're saying, okay, SEC this year. Well, you know, Georgia's going to represent the East. That's already done. Blocked. And, you know, probably it'll either be LSU or Alabama, you assume, in the West. And that's done. But imagine if they all, everybody is playing each other. It it is going to be the most entertaining conference in its final year. The swan song of 100 years of Pac-12 football could be one of the most exciting years in the league. 
And that's what drives me nuts about this. Absolutely nuts is when you look big picture across the college football country and you hit on it, the SEC, we believe is look, Georgia's schedule. It's still the SEC. You still got to play Tennessee, South Carolina, Florida. I'd love to see him play Alabama and LSU and A&M or something during the regular season, right? right. I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic? Like the Pac-12. It would, and that's why people have been wanting that nine-conference game schedule to see something like that. But I think we agree with the SEC top to bottom, still the, the best league in the country. Yeah. But aside from Ohio State, Michigan, sometimes Penn State, sometimes Michigan State, Big Ten leaves a lot to be desired. The ACC outside of Clemson, Florida State, NC State can come up and get you. Uh, North Carolina with, with Drake May coming back. Miami. But that's that's a pretty top-heavy league with two and a half, three teams. Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor sometimes. But the TCU Pac- last year. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, TCU- there's, a, there's always a chaser in the Big 12, but not a dominant. But the Pac-12, top to bottom, you could argue – is the most compelling and competitive league in the country. And we just willingly said, hey, forget 100-plus years of history. We know that you've been around in some form or fashion since 1915. Forget all of that. Go align yourselves regionally with leagues that make zero sense. But by the way, be the most entertaining conference in 2023. Yeah. And, and it is a shame. And you get into you know, what drives this, the whole realignment is the money, right? And it's, and it's the TV rights. It's the money. And and don't think it is just, hey, the athletic department or these people want it. It is the president of the university that's sitting there and saying, if I move over to this league, I essentially just got a massive donor giving money to the school because the TV money is going to go above and beyond the athletic department budgets. And guess where that surplus goes? And guess what the presidents, when they sign that deal, is say, hey, Athletic department, you get this much of the cut, but the university gets the rest. And what is a shame is maybe if it was one more year, if the Pac-12 had one more year, and I know the TV rights were coming up, and everybody looked at it and said, boy, okay, we're going to go be aggressive. The Pac-12 kind of, you know, they stayed packed. And I know because of the academics that they had and some of the things they had. But there were a couple teams out there that, you know, you look at the quality of football that they snubbed their nose at Boise State for all those years. Yep. It was a quality football team that people actually enjoy to watch. You know, they could have maybe even thrown in a UNLV, right, with the Las Vegas market and the new football stadium. And everybody can't wait to get to Vegas to go watch football games. Their, their biggest miss, sorry to interrupt, but on this line, Coach, their biggest miss was two, three years. BYU should have been in this league for the last decade. I mean, BYU is the other big one. And all of a sudden, you own the West Coast. You maybe get some negotiating rights, and your TV rights were coming up in a year where you're the hottest thing in the country. And you know what? There's more, you know, I mean, I know for us at ESPN, we, like, we have our deal. We have great football. There's things going on. But the other networks are starting to get more into college football. There would have been a pretty good market for it, I think, uh, to upgrade it a little bit. And I think it would have been a great change, you know. And I would have loved to seen somebody. I wish college football, I'm getting into some trouble for this one, would put the pressure, and it comes with one statement, you have to be in a conference to make the playoffs. At that statement, Notre Dame has a choice. 
right? They can go to the ACC. They could have gone to the Pac-12 because they play a bunch of those teams. The Pac-12 would have opened them, taken them with open arms. And all of a sudden, they are saving a conference Notre Dame does instead of being able to kind of say, hey, we're doing our own thing because we get every access whether or not we join your conference or not. The second they say you have to be in a conference to make the playoff, you force Notre Dame's hand and say, go ahead, pick where you want to join. And that would have that would have that would have really, I think, kept a lot of these conferences in college football alive, because I don't know if Notre Dame would have gone to the Big Ten. I don't think they would have. You don't because regionally now let's let's stop pretending regionality if that's even a word still makes sense, because if you're talking about regionally, Notre Dame to the Big Ten is a home run. Yeah, it would. And if you're and you're also talking about regionally back to the Pac-12, I'd have added I'd have added San Diego State. Yep. I'd have added Fresno State. I know the academic walks are going to get in here and go like this, but, go, but I'd added San Diego State, Fresno State, BYU, and Boise State. Those four teams to make a 16-team league would have been compelling. And that's Notre, a, that's a great you could have, If you could have stuck, if you could have, if Notre Dame's hands would have been forced, they I think they would have had to go Pac-12. They would have gone Pac-12 or, or ACC. They might have gone, you know, the, looking at the money. But you know what? Notre Dame doesn't need. I mean, trust me, they have they have quite a bit of money. <laughs> I think at that school in their uh, in the alumni fund there, uh, yeah, and the endowment. Uh, but what is it like? He, we're gonna get fine, but that's what this show is. It's about open conversation about the sport that we love. I want to know, and I have a. I grew up a Notre Dame fan because I could always watch them early in Arizona. And then my parents had season tickets to Arizona state at night. So I would always watch Notre Dame during the day. I can name you Rick Meyer, Ron Paulus, Reggie Brooks, Jerome Bettis. I can give you all the Notre Dame stuff you want to know, but why, why does Notre Dame continuously get to play by their own rules, their own TV contracts, their own TV network, while the rest of college football is cratering in around them yet Notre Dame who's been to the college football playoff hasn't had much success in the college football playoff, but they've been, why is it, this isn't, this isn't the 1950s. This isn't even the 1990s when Lou Holtz was there. What is it about Notre Dame that they continue to just stand on an Island and let everything around them crater? I don't know. You need to, I, it would be interesting to be in those meetings because their AD gets the same pull as every other conference commissioner. They are their own conference. And nobody, I don't know whether it's a legal battle or what it is. And I think the fact they've gotten in the playoff gives them some right because you're looking, okay, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, USC, uh, Penn State. What are all these, Miami, what are all these powerhouse names have in common? None have made it to the college football playoff yet. None have ever played in the college football playoff game. These are all teams that have won a national title, okay, I in in I think all of them, it's maybe with the exception of Penn State, since the last time Notre Dame's won a championship, but none of them have made the playoff yet. And all these powerhouses, I think it's the commissioner saying, "Hey, we're done. This playoff is going to be a conference champion, and then some conference at large bids playoff. It's a conference playoff, and I don't know. They haven't been able to get to it." I think if you do that, you have to find it's going to force some hands, but you better you start with finding room for the Army or the Yukon. Someone's got to suck it up and take those teams that are that don't have a current affiliation. But you do get them into leagues 
And all of a sudden, at that point, Notre Dame's on an island by itself and says, you no longer have access. And at that point, they have to join. Yeah, and it, I never even thought of it that way because I think what where we all agree this is headed, a 60-team, 64-team super league that would probably eventually break off from the NCAA. And, and do its own thing. And they do yeah. their own thing. They crown their own champion. And then what's left of the schools that are still in the NCAA that aren't a part of that 60 to 64 team thing, they compete in their own schedule and have their own championship, which by the way, I think could be compelling. But at the end of the day, what's not compelling is looking at a map that makes zero sense <laughs> with where these teams are regionally located. All right. That's our realignment. Yeah. Bit. That's our realignment bit for the day. I said that we weren't going to get into it, but it actually ended up being a very compelling conversation with the Notre Dame aspect of it. What I do want to get into is everything in college football coach is new. We see it year in and year out. We've got new players, new coaches, new conferences. I want to start with the new coaches this year because there are three to me that stand out as home run hires, part one. But part two of that is a home run hire in a position to succeed immediately. Luke Fickle at Wisconsin – Matt Rule at Nebraska, and Hugh Freeze at Auburn. I look at those three hires. I know there's a bunch out there, but those are the yeah. three that I ID that I believe that could have an immediate impact at their school. For you, between the three of them, which do you believe is the best fit right now at the new school for the new season? Well, I, I think Luke Fickle has the most success early because I think he's walking into the best setup program off the bat, I think their fans are going to be accepting. He's going to bring a little bit more of an open offense than they've done in the past, but they're going to have talent. They're going to compete, and I think they're going to have the opportunity to win right away. I think he's going to be very accepted because of that. Uh, and I think their fan base is, and I'll get to the fan base part of it in a second, of why he's going to have the best success early. I don't know long run, but definitely early. Matt Rule's going to come into a Nebraska fan base that – is I mean, it's hard to argue if there's a more passionate fan base for their team. And, and well, passionate, loving fan base of their team. There you I'll, go. Because I'm going to get to number three here in a second. But but I think he has a chance to come in. I think Matt Rule is going to come in. I think the team's going to have a little bit of success. And I think the fan base immediately, even though Luke Fickles might, I think, go win more games this year, have a more successful season. I think the fan base at Nebraska are going to see a light with Matt Rule. And I think that will reinvigorate their fan base, which is crazy that they need to be, and get them so excited about the future that I think he will have success. Now, I think Hugh Freeze, great fit at Auburn. He knows the league. He has success. He, he's beaten Alabama, right? I mean, he, he checks every single box, I don't – and now the problem he's going to deal with is they're playing in the SEC West. Yeah. Okay, which is hands down the toughest conference, uh, you know, toughest league within a conference, the SEC Toughest West. league in sports. It, it, it is from top to bottom. And, you know, as you always said, I you know, after coaching in that on that league for nine years, okay, on someone, you think about it, there are seven fan bases – that think their team's going to win not just the SEC, but national championship and expect that. And someone has to finish last. Like, you don't think, like, it's, oh, who's going to win the West? Someone in that league has to finish last. And, the and you know, it's like the apocalypse has happened. Well, and we all know the Auburn fan base. So I think even though Hugh can have long-term success there, um, I think he's a great fit for the school. 
I think early on, it's just going to be, I mean, it, it, it will be the worst of the three guys. He will have the worst of it this year. Uh, just because of where he is, the, where they're separate, where their talent is compared to the rest of the league and who he has to play week in and week out. I think the biggest problem Hugh Freeze has going for him is that he comes to a place where the fan base knows he's beaten Alabama back-to-back years. Yeah. And Auburn is the other 50% of the Iron Bowl. And so you bring in a coach that managed to slay the Nick Saban Dragon, which, by the way, Gus Malzahn did too. But yeah. they wore Gus Malzahn out. Brian Harson never got a chance. And so yeah. now Hugh comes in, and I just hope, I hope Auburn fans understand how good of a hire this is, and they just let it bake. Put it in the uh, – like, I'm going to use Nick Saban's analogy from SC Media Days. Let Hugh put this Auburn cake into the oven and let it bake. It's not going to be a microwave and have instant success year one. You have to let it cook. And I know you're smiling because you're like, Matt, these are Auburn fans. They don't give a damn about an oven. They want to, but they have to because the only way for this thing to work is to let it cook. That's it. Well, what fan base in the SEC? Now, I, listen, I was very fortunate at Mississippi State that it was down kind of for, for a while that they, I got an opportunity but had success in year two, so got everybody excited, and we were good to go at that point. But there are not a lot of fan bases within that league that are going to let things sit and bake. Now, the ones that did, Mississippi State, while I was there, had a lot of success. Look at Mark Stoops right now. There you go. That's Kentucky. a good one. Yep. I mean, normally, after year four, Mark Stoops would have been fired. In, at every, any other every other in Nick Saban would have been fired at Michigan State by the way back in the day had it been like the way it is I, now based on his record but they were patient they let it go let him build this consistent winner and now you expect Kentucky to be a solid team year in and year out yeah it'll be interesting South Carolina the patience they're going to have right now because there's excitement around Shane Beamer hey you beat Tennessee and Clemson last year let's go let's let's take the next step that the fan bases. I always say this, and the SEC is is the ultimate deal, okay? If you go out to eat, okay, and you're used to eating McDonald's, all right, and then you go to Smith & Walensky's and you have that steak and you slice into it, or you're eating lobster, right? And all of a sudden you realize this tastes good. I don't want to go back to the hamburger. I like the lobster and the steak, okay? So all these fan bases, as soon as they taste it, that's all they want. They don't want to go backwards. Well, Auburn, all the success throughout the years, the championships, they're not, they're not into the hamburger. They want the steak and lobster, and they want it now, and they're not ready to go taste anything else. Yeah, but sometimes you have to go on a diet in between and understand, <laughs> like cutting some of this stuff out before you get to eat the big steak dinner. And that's why I believe – that long-term, the SEC expectation is what makes the sport beautiful. Yes. But when you look at Matt Rule, I was one of those that said, Nebraska, better be careful with Scott Frost because if you chase out your legend, if he can't do it, then who can? Yeah. I think Matt Rule is the answer to that question because he's a program builder. I spent time with him when he was down at Baylor to do a story on him for SportsCenter. And the mess that he walked into Baylor post-Art Bryles and what he was able to do with Baylor and his time there 
is one of the more remarkable coaching jobs in college football history. So he understands how to build a program. And I think Nebraska and the fan base understands that they've seen so much bad. I think to your point, they're just going to be happy to see something better and give him time. Wisconsin's the same way. Look, Wisconsin's the league of Barry Alvarez. Brett Bielema went to the Rose Bowl three consecutive years. So we know that Wisconsin can do it. That's why I think fickle in a rule in terms of support around what they're trying to do. I think, put it this way. I think the Big Ten believes in micro or believes in ovens more than they believe in microwave. The SEC <laughs> loves a microwave. They love microwave popcorn. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the Big Ten likes a nice, slow-cooked rump roast to just kind of slowly marinate until it's to perfection. Yeah, the second it gets cool in the SEC, they're not happy anymore. That, that, it's got to be hot, that food, at all times, and I need it now. So when what I if, want it, when I'm ready to go. What if you went up? You were an SC coach and had high success there. What if you went up to the podium and you got hired at Auburn and you, you in your introductory press conference, you look at the camera and you look at the microphone and you say, I'm as excited as you are about the potential that this program has, but I'm going to need time to build this to where it needs to go. What if you said that as a head coach in the SEC at your opening press conference? Yeah, I think what would happen is the first question would be, Coach, what's your definition of time? Is that like, you know, you have spring ball, training camp. (laughs) Um, I'm looking at the schedule. So by week three, do you think you're going to be ready? Is by week three (laughs) enough time for you to kind of roll that team out there that we need? Uh, No, I I think the fan bases are so passionate. And they want – now, I I will say this. I think you can create energy and excitement – with winning certain games. And if you look at Hugh's background, um, he he wins some big games. You know, I mean, maybe, now maybe he'll lose some that he shouldn't lose, but he'll win some maybe he shouldn't win. And what that does early on is that's going to give the fan base some excitement. Now, longer term, they could get frustrated because like, hey, we shouldn't lose that game that maybe we lost. However, if he can come out and pull out an upset or two, over one of the big names in the SEC this year on the schedule, that yeah, our guy. Hey, maybe he Alabama and LSU both this year. If he ever got and Georgia, they got to play all three. Mm-hmm. If he got one of them, that gives the fan base we're on the right track. Yeah, right. We're we're, we're that there. one that one example of like okay. Yeah, this is why we brought him in. This is he he's got the big one. Hey, yeah, we're rebuilding. Then you could grasp on the we're, we're rebuilding if they lose some other ones. Hey, we're rebuilding, but he showed he can win and go beat the big boys, which we want to go beat. It's going to be a fun season, no matter what, with some of these new coaches at their new schools. We want to wrap up with a couple of other new elements to this season or new things that could really propel a team. We'll go quickly on this one new player. Via the transfer portal, a new player with a new school that can immediately step in and say, I'm going to make an impact on this team. And because of me, I'm going to take this program to new heights. Well, it's, or, it's, or not new heights. Or put, put them in a contention. I, I, think, 
I think a spotlight player, you know, is an easy one. A Sam Hartman going to yep. Notre Dame because you're the quarterback at Notre Dame. You're under the spotlight. He's had a lot of success running a different style offense. But I, 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 I love his poise. I love his leadership. I love how he wins. I think he's going to be in a big spotlight, and I think that's going to be interesting. Devin Leary was an exciting player at NC State, and Bang. now he's at Kentucky. Okay, they're going back. They're they're kind of you know. Kentucky's that sleeper team a little bit that they, they play a style. They play good defense under Mark uh, Stoops. They, they're physical. Okay. They can run the ball. They got a little bit of a gunslinger at quarterback. Can they come up and take a big jump? Uh, I'm excited about that one. An interesting one to me that was out there is Cade McNamara. Okay. Iowa that we know one, they're going to play defense, right? I mean, yep. we know that, yeah, if, if they can score 21 points, they might they, they might go undefeated. If they can score 21 points in every game, they, you know, they're that type of a team. We know they can run the ball. But you know what? When he was at Michigan, they were that type of team. But he's got the size. He might be a step above a quarterback they've had in a long time that can make some things happen in the pass game, right? Because the one thing they need to do is score points. Okay, and you you can sit there and say we're going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. We're going to be physical. We're going to play ball control. We're eventually you got to score points. Does he have the arm that can push the ball down the field and score points for him? That's going to be great. And those are the quarterback guys and, that are out there, right? And look, and that's on Brian Ferentz to finally make something with a quarterback at Iowa because Cade McNamara does come in. He look, he led Michigan to the college football playoff. He's got the bona fides. Yeah, use him because. If you're Iowa, you may not get this opportunity again to bring in a guy that's that skilled to match the team that you have to always win a winnable Big Ten West. You don't have to go spreader that. You just have to have a throw game. But there are some some guys out there I'm going to give you that are excited, that I can't wait to see that are the non-quarterback guys that I think are impact players. I got to watch him and call a game with him last year is is the Carson Steele running back Hmm. at Ball State. Yeah. Going to UCLA and Chip Kelly's offense. I mean, this guy is a big physical athlete, catch the ball out of the backfield, can do a lot of things. Not many people had heard about him at Ball State. Going into UCLA and Chip always highlights the, you know, I mean, they're a quarterback with the run and all that, but they always have a running back that that's exciting. And I think he could be really exciting. I think he's one. I think Jaheim Bell leaving South Carolina, going to Florida State. He's a weapon guy. He's not a tight end. He's not a a pocket knife. He's not a fullback. He's everything. Well, you know what? Florida State's got some some weapons back. And now here's this utility, like, you know, this utility knife coming out that Mike Norvell can have a lot of fun with. Um, The last one is Jordan Birch, I think, leaving South Carolina, going to Oregon who was a, you're talking a legitimate SEC defensive lineman. Yep. Going into the Pac-12 with a D-line that's already decent and an offense that's good, can all of a sudden he ignite that Oregon defense with guys, other good players coming back and other good players around him. Can they all of a sudden step up and be maybe a defensive factor in that league that is just going to be full of, you know, I mean, you're looking in that league right now with USC and Washington, the Oregon's of the world. You know, the, the, can they make a stop 
and he gives them that spark defensively to make a couple of stops you need to push Oregon to the top of that league. With a head coach like Dan Lannon, who comes from a defensive background, so you know he wants to make Oregon a defensive factory. And and, and what I loved about every guy that you mentioned, especially the the, the Florida State as well, Gene Bell, is he goes to a, a head coach who's offensive-minded. And a lot of times when these transfer portal players go somewhere, fit typically sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Now you're looking at two teams who've proved to be contenders. In fact, it could be a factor this year, getting two pieces to maybe complement the puzzle they'll need to win a conference championship. And I want to go back to Devin Leary here as we wrap up in the Matt Berry show. Devin Leary, to me, makes Kentucky the one team you just don't want to have to play if you have something on the line. If you're playing for something at the end of your season and he stays healthy, and Kentucky's playing good football, and the offensive line's a little more experienced than what we saw last year with Will Levis. Devin, Devin Leary, to me, is the guy that's like, God, we got to play Kentucky. They, you just don't want to mess with them. They're just they're, they're going to be that team that ruins a lot of things for a lot of people this year. Absolutely, because he has that gunslinger mentality. You right. know they're going to be physical and play defense. And all of a sudden, you're going to look out there and say, if he gets hot, he can go make – a end of a game in a fourth quarter, he puts two drives together, making things happen out there on the field that you didn't expect to happen. And I think he's got that persona, that personality that he can get that done. And it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, the other thing in the SEC, you go on the road to Kentucky later in the season too. It's, it's you know, most SEC schools – you know, I coached to Florida. When, if you're playing and the, the temperature hits below 60, you need heat. They want heaters on the sideline, right? <laughs> you know, you go up to Kentucky in late October or November and play a night game up there, it's going to be freezing cold, like cold, cold compared to regular SEC country. And I think he's going to bring it with that mentality, that gunslinger mentality. He's won a bunch of big games and had pulled a bunch of big upsets when he was at NC State. And so I think he's not going to be nervous about going to play a Georgia or going, you know, going to play some of these big teams. He's not, he's going to sit there and say, I got a little chip on my shoulder to win this game. God, it is going to be so much fun. I'm so glad we actually got to talk about actual football instead of this realignment and all this other garbage. <laughs> but there are there are players across the country, new school, new fit, but can have an immediate impact, uh, which is why that's the good in the transfer portal when a lot of times you hear the bad in the transfer portal. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Matt Berry Show. Um in the coming weeks, Mullen and I will have a couple of announcements to make about our upcoming season, but we are inching closer. I believe I have it at three and a half weeks until that first kickoff, and I can't wait for it. Coach, good stuff as always. Look forward to talking to you again soon.